from the book of Matthew. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Thank you for joining me this morning. Today, we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Matthew. We're ready for chapter 21 this morning. 21 deals with some heavy stuff. We first have the triumphal entry where Jesus rides in on a colt, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. And then he has this strong conversation with the Jewish leaders. He gives them a couple of parables, but ultimately the conversation is about how, because they are rejecting Messiah, rejecting the free gift of salvation, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from them and given to a nation bearing fruit. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. We also have the cursing of the fig tree. And, uh, yeah, heavy stuff, but we go with what the scriptures say, not with what our hearts, minds, human intellect think things should be or want to believe things should be. We're here to seek truth. And we're going to get it from God's word this morning. My prayer is that it will go forth and pierce hearts and cause many of you to draw closer to God. Let's begin. I'm going to read from the King James Bible this morning. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpang, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt worth her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fowl of an ass. So please note the prophecy that he is referring to is from the prophet Zechariah. And uh, it's chapter Zechariah chapter 9. And let me pull it up here for you. I just like to read these. Zechariah chapter 9, which says, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king come unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And of course, as we'll see, the people know 
this prophecy because they ha- they have an expectation that the Messiah would come. And so here comes Jesus fulfilling a very well-known prophecy at the time. And their response demonstrates that they're very aware of what this means. Let's continue on. Verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt and put on their put on them their clothes. But they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the false and, and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them, and he went out of the city, into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, and he found nothing thereon, but leaves only. And he said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to unto him as he was teaching. And they said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee the authority? And Jesus answered, and he said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven? Or from men. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for behold, all hold John as a prophet. And they answered, and he said, We cannot tell. Please note, by the way, you just, over and over, you just see how wicked the, the, the religious leaders of the day were, the Pharisees. 
I mean, they're not really interested in the things of God. They're interested in politics. They're seeing him perform incredible miracles and open up the scriptures. And all they do is try to scheme how they might remove him because he's threatening their power and position. They don't really care if John was a prophet or not. They're just trying to figure out a way to, to slither their way through this question. It, it reminds me of, like, politicians. So they say, well, so they reason with each other, well, we don't, they're trying to trap Jesus, now he's trapped them with a question. And they just say, oh, we don't know. And then Jesus responds with the next verse, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now Jesus is going to tell them a couple of parables because he's going to explain to them their current situation and what's coming. And they're not going to appreciate that too much. Verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and he went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And yea, when you had seen it, Repented not afterwards that you might believe him. Strong statement there by Jesus, right? He's saying we have two sons. One, he tells the father tells both of them to go work in the vineyard. These represent obviously the father is when Jesus tells these parables is God, and the vineyard is the kingdom of God, and we have the people and. One son says, I'm not going to do that, but later he repents and does it anyway. And then the other son says, sure, I'll do it, but he was lying. He doesn't do it. Jesus is saying that the tax collectors and the uh, harlots are the ones who initially don't want to say they're not going to do these things, but then they repent and then they do it. And then you have the religious leaders who say they'll do these things, but they don't do it and they don't repent. So the ones who are justified are the ones who had faith, believed, repented, which means to change directions and turn away from sin. And they followed. So therefore, they're going to inherit the kingdom. But the religious people who talk a good game but don't, don't actually have faith and don't actually believe and don't actually do these things, uh, they will not. So that's the first parable Jesus tells Verse 33, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, and he hedged around about and digged a winepress in it, and built a tower, and he led it out to the husbandman, and went into a far country. And when he came time for the fruit to draw near, he sent his servants to the husbandman, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husband took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Please note, I just want to explain quickly. 
Again, it's another short story to depict reality. Vineyard owner is God. He lent it out to who? To his people. And the parable here is that he sends people to go collect the fruit, which would represent his messengers, his prophets, right? He sent prophets to these people. And in the parable, what they do is they kill the prophets. And so God says, or the, in the vineyard owner says, well, then I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. Jesus is talking about the religious people that he's speaking to and himself. Of course, they don't get it, but, well, they do get it, but not at the right level. Let me continue on. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto him likewise. But last of all, he sent unto his servants, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? And they say unto him, we will mis- They will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render, him, render them the fruits in their season. Jesus is preparing them for the reality that they're getting ready to be facing with these stories. They're not really getting it. But their answer to what should be done is exactly what will happen. He's going to take the vineyard from them and give it to others, give it to someone else. And who is the someone else? That would be anybody, which is predominantly Gentiles. Not all, not all Gentiles, but mostly made up of Gentiles, non-Jewish people who would believe upon Messiah and bear fruit. And of course, we'll read uh, in the book of Romans if we have time real quick. This is a necessary thing. Um, but this story that Jesus is setting up is the exact judgment that happened. God sent prophets to Israel. They killed him. He sends his own son. Rather, as we've read, seen reading the gospel, rather than acknowledging him for who he is, they plot ways they can kill him so they can keep their position in power. And as a result, severe judgment came in 70 AD. The temple was tore down. Blood ran in the streets. There was a massacre. And then after that, what happened is the ministry that Jesus and his disciples started spread out of Jerusalem and began to spread all over the world. And here we are to this very day. Almost not a single corner of the world exists where the name of Jesus hasn't been preached. And here I am in the United States of America. Halfway around the world. Halfway across the world. Preaching the gospel. Let's continue on. We're almost done here. And then we'll 
we'll look at Romans about what Paul says about this scenario. So they say unto him, well, this is what will happen. Uh, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Verse 42, And Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stones which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But whosoever shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he spoke of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So he's predicting to them what is going to happen. You know, earlier, the people were calling him Hosanna, saying, Baruch, Abba, Shem, Yehovah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Matthew 23, so in a couple weeks, Jesus says this statement, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you say, Baruch Abba Shem Yehovah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is telling Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you're put in a position where you cry out for me. And so the house to them was left desolate. Now here we are, in the world we're living in today, could you see a situation developing where this is fulfilled? Where Jerusalem starts to cry out again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's not what I want to focus on. I want to just read to you real quickly. I'm not going to break it all down for you. But I want you to Remember or be reminded of what Paul says about this situation. About why this had to happen this way. And I believe, and I, th I believe Paul believed, that there would come a day when all of Israel would be saved and there'd be a revival again. And I think that has to happen for prophecy to be fulfilled properly. So I believe there will be a, re, a resurgence, if you will, of the, of the tribes of Israel of being finally the lens, the blindness being removed, and they'll believe upon Messiah. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, I did a whole series on the book of Romans, so you can go check that out uh, in the archives if you want uh, a better breakdown. If you go to chapter 10... Verses 1 through 8. Here's what he says about this situation. Verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, 
have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Can I just make a quick comment? There is at l- there's at least one rabbi that I follow who he really has kind of a poor attitude towards Christians, I'll say. That's putting it nicely. Obviously a bad attitude towards Jesus, Yeshua, as do all Orthodox Jewish people who are not believers. One of the things that always troubles me, though, is that he clearly has a heart for God. Loves God, loves the Torah, loves the commandments, and I always struggle with, oh, this person actually loves God, but he's so he's, he's still blind. He can't see the free gift of salvation. That's what Paul's, that's what Paul's mourning over. Because this is his brethren, and he wants them to be saved. He wants them to believe. He says they even have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge, for they're ignorant about God's righteousness, and they're still trying to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. By the way, that statement there is not saying the law is null and void. What Paul is saying is, for establishing your righteousness, it's now the it's now Christ to anyone that believes. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You don't establish your righteousness through your actions. Your actions demonstrate what you believe. And they represent your faith. But what establishes your righteousness is the righteousness of Christ, not your own works. Verse 5, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thy heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Of course, if you go to Romans 11, chapter 5, again, we don't have time to break down fully two chapters of Romans. I'm just giving you some headlines here. He says, Even so, then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. He's saying there's still, no, there's still a remnant of Jewish people. And if you go down to verse 26 and 29, he says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. So right now, Paul is saying to Jacob, Israel, they are enemies of the gospel currently for our sakes. Right, you have you have the natural branches and the wild branches, and the natural branches were cut off so the wild branches could be grafted in. This is making room for the whole world to be saved, but there's coming a day when all Israel will be saved, 
and they will be delivered and turned away from their ungodliness. So, one of the things that I'm expecting as we move closer to the end, what I'm really watching for, you know, a lot of people are watching for the Antichrist and watching for what they think this prophecy means and watching. I, to be honest, the thing I'm looking to that's going to be a real eye opener is a great revival taking place amongst Israel. That's an indicator that we're really, we're really there. And I'm praying for it. And I'm praying for the people of Israel right now and everyone involved. I realize there's suffering on both sides and there's viewpoints and all of these things are happening. I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm praying for the world to come to know the Prince of Peace. Peter says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our only hope for peace in this world is for a great revival and for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I hope and I pray that I haven't rambled too much this morning. I hope that the, the word has gone forth and it's touched you in some way or given you something to think about. I don't have all the answers and I don't get everything right. So at the end of the day, just let the word of God speak. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.